0: You guys know I haven't been shy about my disdain for the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. The guys that come before pulpits Sunday after Sunday preaching a message of living your best life now. Or living every day like a Friday. And I would pay good money to see what those guys would say about this text. Because this text by itself dismantles their whole theology. Jesus here is teaching that truly we cannot expect to be rich or prosperous in this lifetime, but if anything, we ought to be prepared to experience and expect the opposite in this lifetime. We ought to remember as Christians living in the West that we are living in an unprecedented time of peace and prosperity, you know, not not one of you guys came to church this morning thinking, today might be the day I will be martyred for my faith, right? No, we all came here with this sense of peace and joy and anticipation, not, f- not fear or worry in the back of our mind that that might happen. But that has been the case for large portions of history throughout the entire world. And sadly, it still happens today in many countries This very book that we just read and were studying this morning, this book is illegal in some 52 countries today. Not hundred years ago, today. And in many cultures, it is still punishable by death to convert to Christianity, to believe in the same things you and I freely proclaim and live by today. So while we aren't suffering persecution in this country of that anywhere close to that kind yet. And there are many who desire to bring that into this country. We ought not to be naive about that. There are many principles in this text that do help us understand our world today, that help us understand the hostility towards Christianity and the message we live and proclaim today. because. People do hate you, by the way. It's 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 not fun to say, but it's true. And, you know, many of you were growing, when many of you were growing up, the culture wasn't like that. It wasn't like the way that it was today. And even in my generation growing up, there was at least a respect for Christianity, the church, and Christians, and so forth. But now we are viewed by many with, So much undue contempt, and the the culture isn't even hiding it anymore. And why is that? Why is that? Jesus put it best in John 3.19, where he said, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things and hates th- for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed and we as Christians through Christ in us are the light of the world today and that light in us exposes this world's darkness and they they hate and resist that kind of exposure. So the world attempts to extinguish the light, prevent it from going out and exposing the darkness in this world for what it is so they can remain in the darkness that they have made for themselves, living comfortably in their sin and the brokenness of this world. But what we do is simply, not violently, but simply invite them into the light. And some whom God draws by his Holy Spirit come into that light and experience that peace we were just talking about. So with that framework in mind, how should we respond to these things? How should we react to this hatred as Christians? And fortunately, Jesus gives us the answer in this passage, beginning in verse 16, where his first opening caution to us is, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep, In the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and be innocent as doves. And it's important that we view our situation correctly. You know, as Christians living in this world today, we are not supposed to be conquering warriors, but to be sheep who are marching into wolf territory. First uh, Peter 4.12 says, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon us as though something strange were happening. It's no more strange for us to experience trials in this world than for sheep to get attacked in wolf territory. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> if you let the sheep out, that that's probably what's going to happen. So we ought not to be surprised, which is why Jesus is making sure his disciples aren't surprised when these things happen. He sets correct expectations. And with that in mind, Jesus then tells his disciples to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And even with that said, we have to make sure we get the analogy correct. Because snakes can be violent. That's not what Jesus is calling us to be. And doves can be quite foolish. That's not what we're supposed to be either. So rather, we're to have the intellectual cunning of the serpent, but at the same time having the innocence and purity of a dove. So not to be 100% of one or the other. He's not calling us to be exactly like the snake nor exactly like the dove, but a beautiful balance of both. And there are many who have one of those traits, but very few who exemplify both when we look at the world today. <laughs> I mean, you look at some of these, uh, these large companies and industries, even here in the States, that are so brilliantly organized, they're so gifted in their logistics, they're savvy and brilliant businessmen, oh, but some of them are downright evil. <laughs> Not all of them, I'm not saying every businessman you know is a bad guy, don't hear what I'm not saying, but I think we get the picture. Some of them very much are. And on the other hand, you have many churches that are very pure, very innocent, very quick to want to help others. But my goodness, they are so constantly taken advantage of, which is not what we're called to either. Rather, we're called as Christians to be as wise as a Fortune 500 company, but at the same time to be as innocent and pure as Christ has called his church to be. Walk that beautiful balance. (laughs) And it's beautiful to see it when it happens too, to see the both wisdom and purity perfectly aligned. (laughs) Now, during the, uh, the COVID-19 lockdowns uh, from starting two years ago, where churches everywhere were forced to, to shut down, and there's many political opinions on these lockdowns. I really don't desire to get political by going there this morning, but it is a fact that the government does not have that authority to close churches. That Christ is the head of the church, not Caesar, and we learned that lesson but while the whole country was in the midst of learning that lesson, um, in a brilliant display of hip- blatant hypocrisy, uh, the casinos in Nevada were allowed to stay open, but the churches were closed down. Some of you might be aware of that. And you look me in the eyes after church this morning and tell me that hedonism isn't our state sponsored religion after you guys heard that. That's sick. In no world should that ever be true. And I'm saying that from the pulpit, so you know I've thought this through. But one church had a brilliant solution. Given this tough scenario, with these wide open casinos and the closed down churches, one church I'm aware of moved their church and rented a room inside the casino. And they were able to worship freely. They shouldn't have had to do that. But my goodness, wasn't that brilliant? That's one way to be wise as a serpent, but still as innocent as a dove. They weren't even breaking any laws doing that. How beautiful is that? <laughs> During those same lockdowns that closed churches, um, there were other organizations that you guys might remember this, were literally organizing riots in the streets, and nobody was stopping them. Again, not to get political, but there's hypocrisy all over the all over that situation as well. And in response, another pastor I respect opened up his doors that very same weekend and said, said, welcome to the Grace Community Church peaceful protest. It just so happens to take place during their church and they had hymns and a sermon. Shrewd, but innocent. I think Jesus would have approved of some of those. So that, that's the balance that we're talking about here, walking that fine line in the midst of persecution. As we return to our text, Jesus continues to describe what these wolves will do in verse 17, where he says, "'Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts "'and flog you in their synagogues, "'and, they will, and you will be dragged before governors "'and kings for my sake.'" to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And that all happened in the life of the apostles, by the way. You know Peter was taken before the synagogue rulers in Acts chapter 4. Uh, he was arrested by King Herod in Acts chapter 12, and Paul was brought before Felix the governor and King Agrippa in Acts 25. So that all happened very early, and it still happens to this day. And each time, they they bared witness to Jesus before those who accused them. However, when a Christian stands trial for their faith, on trial for nothing else other than their faith, something strange and beautiful happens. And to illustrate what I mean, let's conjure an image that many of you are familiar with. Think about when Jesus stood before Pilate. Who was in control? Who was the one really standing trial? Because at first, when I first read that, I had the image in my mind as a like a teenager reading that text. It's like, oh, wow, Gee, Pilate is in control, and his fate is in Pilate's hands. It wasn't until a few years later that I realized, oh, the opposite is true. Pilate is standing before Jesus. Jesus himself even says, You would have no authority unless it was given to you by my Father. There is no question who was actually in control and who has actually been judged through that encounter. It wasn't Jesus getting judged. Although the punishment was handed down, the power, the authority was always comfortably in Jesus' hands. There was no question who had control. And to a much lesser degree, but the same principle. It, that is exactly what happens when Christians are dragged before courts and magistrates and kings in defense of the faith. It's the same thing. Because in reality, it's the person who is charging them who is getting judged, not the Christian. Because as we concluded last time, the context of all of these verses is verse 15. Where he talks about how there's a worse judgment coming for those who persecute Christians than those who, than what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. And that is an important counterbalance to the, thing, to the persecution theme that we're talking about today, because the world truly does not prevail against Christians, even when we're persecuted all over the world. They just appear to have the upper hand now, but there's no question of who wins in the end. You can read the back of the book, we win. However, those who are unfortunate to find themselves in this position have a precious promise that they can cling to that Jesus gives us in verse 19, where he says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And I love this. This is one of those take it to the bank promises of scripture that Jesus in an unqualified way says, if this happens to you, I'm going to speak through you. I'm going to give you those words. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried. You have a professional speechwriter standing before you in that day. And I love the confidence that this must give persecuted Christians all over the world. You you don't have to come up with the exact right words or have the exact right example, have a speech with just the right amount of sting to it. God will give you the words. You can sleep the night before that when you meet with your authorities, Jesus will take care of you. (laughs) And I love the irony of this because as I'm prepared, I I, I am no stranger to losing sleep over getting the right words for a sermon. (laughs) So I'm literally putting more work into what I'm doing right now than what these persecuted Christians with their life on their line are called to do. God just says, I'm going to take care of it. And it's a promise they are assured that they can cling to. And scripture, of course, has affirmed that this was not an empty promise. Think of all those times in the book of Acts, for those of you who have read it, all those times that Peter and Paul are dragged before their persecutors in all of these circumstances. Could you have improved on their words? No. Rather, we find ourselves inspired by their courage, inspired by their boldness. And in my honest moments, I'm reading the text and I'm like, wow, I wish I was that brave to say these words to people with authority over me. I wish I was so bold to proclaim the gospel above all else when it's my life on the line. But honestly, God forbid that ever happens to us. You will be that bold. You will be that courageous if we have to be. Because it's not you that has to be that clever. It's the Father speaking through you, as it says here. Because God will keep his promises. And I've seen it happen. You know, I, I, I'm... i even in this country, I've heard testimonies from pastors all over the country just this past year that were sued for everything that they got over some of these insane COVID laws that, you know, were completely unjustified and they had to have their day in court. And on those days, God gave them exactly the right words to say, to defend our, our right to worship, to defend our right to assemble and, and encourage us in the faith as we've done for 2,000 years. Which brings to mind another question. What other promises from the scripture do you know? And do you really believe them? Do you really trust them when the time comes? Are you ready to put them to the test in difficult circumstances? Because it's one thing to say you believe them, it's another thing to trust that they are going to hold you up when nothing else is, when the time comes that you need it. I, I think of verses like Romans 8.28, a verse we've all heard before that says, and we know that those who, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. He works all things together for good. Does that include the bad times? Oh, you bet it does. But do we believe that it does? That that changes our experience, doesn't it? If it does, it changes everything, though. Because it'll change how I view some of these rough seasons that I will go through as a Christian. Because I know, God, I don't know how, but you're doing good through this. And I can trust that you are, even if I don't understand it at the time. Well, what about other verses, like Philippians 4, where it says, do not be anxious about anything, but, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that if I pray about my circumstances, God will take away all of my reason to be worried, to be anxious, to be fearful, and I will experience his peace. Again, I will say resoundingly, you bet it does. And it ought to change our prayer life if we do believe this promise. It'll change how often we pray, what we pray about, uh, the fervency that we have in prayer, if we really believe in it. Have you guys ever seen some of those like trust exercises? You know, where uh, you fall backwards completely trusting somebody else to catch you? Because if you haven't done it, you guys need better friends. (laughs) Couldn't help it. But there are so many scriptures where God calls us to basically do a trust exercise. He says, just fall back on me. I'm promising you I will catch you. I promise you I will take care of your circumstance. I have this. And the question is, do we know them and do we believe them and do we live our lives like we trust them? Some of those pertain to certain circumstances, like the ones we're covering here about persecution. Others, like Romans 8.28, apply to everything. But do we know them? Do we use them? Do we trust them? (laughs) Because I I have fallen back on some of these verses in times of trouble and in times of need where there's nothing else that's going to catch me other than God's word. And let me tell you from personal experience, God has never once failed me. And he's not going to fail you either. God and his word never fail. They never do. We just have to make sure we have the correct interpretation of the passage, of course, too. I don't want anyone going home thinking, oh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can fly. (laughs) I don't, I hope that you all know better than that, but, but it sure serves as a great example. A verse out of context is like a fish out of water. It just doesn't work. We have to make sure that we're taking the promises for what they are. And if you do, they will never once fail you. So as we bring this home, it's it's interesting as we study a passage like this that we hope we never have to apply it to our lives. And that is my prayer for each one of you guys here. It's our prayer for this church. But you never know. But it's it's so important to have the right understanding of these issues, to have the right mindset so just like Jesus' disciples were, they wouldn't be surprised. Like, what in the world is going on? Why does the world hate us? Well, we've seen from our text today why. That it's not strange when we are misunderstood or when others mock our beliefs, (laughs) In fact, the culture's increasing hostility towards biblical Christianity can trace its roots back to Israel. It happened to Jeremiah. He was hated for proclaiming the truth of God. happened to Isaiah. He was literally sawn in two as a punishment for proclaiming God's word. Martyred for the faith. And if it can happen in Jerusalem, can even happen here. Something we need to remember. But just like those two prophets, we're going to continue to say the truth. We're going to continue to speak truth to this culture around us. Even if nobody else is listening, trusting God and trusting his promises, no matter what happens. Thanks be to God. Amen.